Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And man, I'm excited because today we have Sam Hickey. He is the other half of the Level Up Lenders, partner to Skylar Wallace. If you haven't listened to that episode, highly recommend listening to it. But listen to it after this one, because obviously this one's going to be fire. So thank you so much for being here, Sam. Super excited to talk to you about you know, your processes, things like that, man. So welcome to the show. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to be here. I think what you're doing is really cool. I think, you know, we're in a tough market in general, like obviously the signs of the times and all that. I think having a place where loan officers can look for some guidance, some help and some good ideas is a great service to the community of loan officers for sure. So yeah, I mean, happy to be here, happy to help. You know, whatever we can get into, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, man. I appreciate that. And it all started as a passion project, man, to be honest. And it's kind of remained that way. For you know, we're now at I think this is gonna be like episode ninety five, something like that, and you know we're gonna hit the hundred episode here pretty soon. That's gonna be pretty exciting. But you know, give us a little bit of context of who you are, what kind of got you into the industry, your background, so we can kind of understand maybe the journey of you coming into the industry. Again, I always like to hear the sort of the come up story, right? Yeah, for sure. So I started in loans in two thousand six, mm-hmm. mid to late two thousand six. My wife started in loans in 2005 and her boss was pretty forward thinking and my wife was very natural and good at the job right away. And both of us had worked in sales in the car industry at some point in the previous to that. Mm -hmm. And so her boss was like, man, I think it's easier to hire salespeople and teach them how to do loans than it is to hire loan officers and teach them how to sell. So he went on this kind of rampage of like hiring salespeople and figured, you know, he could just help them learn how to do it. So anyways, that happened. And of course, there was a very rude awakening come 2008. And so that really put a big wrench in. You know, I think a market event like that was a really difficult thing to overcome if you didn't have any kind of long-term staying power or long-term, no depth to your business, right? And, And unfortunately, there's going to be some people in this market that feel like that too. There's a lot of uphill climb. And if you don't have a good bench, a deep bench of referral partners and stuff, it's going to make it that more challenging. But anyway, so we did that in 2008 and 9. We held on as long as we could through the whole process, ended up not doing loans for a little while. And uh, we moved out to the Midwest for different reasons. Moved out to the Midwest, uh, some roots here for me. And we just basically, when we moved out here, she said, you know, so she says, I'm going to go back to work. And I think I'll just try to find a bank that wants to uh, employ me. And Coming from a market like Seattle, which is super cutthroat and super competitive to a really sort of laid back Midwest type of area, the hustle translates differently when you move. So she pretty quickly became number one in the market in about a year. She was number one in the market and this began growing. And because it was sort of thrust upon her, she started hiring help. Like, you know, she's like, I don't even want to hire an assistant, but I have to so forth and so on. And so Eventually, she was like, will you help me? And I said, sure. So I quit my job and went on as an LOA for her just to help her support her. And over the last couple of years, she's now in the top one or two in the state. And of course, under that, at some point, I'm not much of an LOA. My detail-oriented nature (laughs) is challenging, to say the least. I have to work really hard on details. 
So she eventually just said, listen, I've got better LOAs than you. You should just be a loan officer or go find something else to do. And so I did. So in 2000, probably 16, I started closing loans for myself. And my first year, I closed 50 loans, 52 loans. My second year, I closed 120 loans. Fast forward, I was closing around 125, 130 loans in 2019. And I hired Skylar in June of 2019 with the idea that one of us could go get business and one of us could sit around and do the loans and we could tag team and kind of make ourselves a little bit of an easier go of it. And so that's kind of how Skylar and I joined forces and easily the best decision I've ever made in business. And I don't think I expected what I got out of that deal. I got way more value than I was planning on. I thought I was going to bring on just a business partner that kind of helped me get business. And it's been quite the ride since he's got obviously big vision for a lot of things. And then has allowed me to have some big ideas and some big vision too. And then he goes and puts them into practice. So we make a good pairing in that regard. So, so since then in 2020, we went from 125 loans or 130 loans in 19 to 403 loans in 2020. We obviously had wind at our back because the market there was helpful. But I got to say that a lot of that was for just the sheer amount of excitement of us. Just, you know, when you put lightning in a bottle and you mix it with gasoline, right? And I think Skyler and I have that sort of symbiosis that, that just kind of you can't recreate if you want to. Mm-hmm. And so from then, every year has been bigger and bigger. And we've been growing the team. I think we have 24 individuals on the team now, including support staff and salespeople. And we have markets in multiple states where I'm training loan officers to just be salespeople. And going back to the original conversation with that first boss man that was like, look, if I could just bring salespeople on, doing loans is trainable. Teaching sales is harder. It's a personality thing a lot of times. And so we've been following that model. So we hire a lot of salespeople that... And I've got a guy on my team that he's closing five, six loans a month, does not know how to pull interest rates. Just realize that like last week and I got to solve that because that's probably, you know, preschool stuff. I, he needs to know that. But like sure. it proves that, you know, you can hire salespeople and teach them how to do loans later on, you know. So yeah, the most impactful move that we've made was just understanding that it takes a year, year and a half to train a loan officer to be fairly dangerous at their job as far as completing loans and doing a good job of it. Mm-hmm. But if you can bring a car guy on that's a hustler and you can handle the back end for him, they can hit the ground running in a month or two. And there's a lot easier come up for that person than that year and a half slog of trying to get business and learn how to do the job at the same time. And I think that's the biggest reason why a lot of loan companies don't recruit people from scratch. They won't. You have to have a business to come over. And then I prefer you don't have a book of business or have any experience. I'd take you on. And that's basically what we're up to now. So anyways, I hope that gives you a little bit of background. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Well, first of all, I just wanted to say, so you got fired by your wife. Is that what you said earlier? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was helpful in that she didn't have to train me, sure. initially, but I was basically just helping her file stuff and keep stuff straight and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah. As her business grew, it was quite easy to see. There's a book called You Can't Send a Duck to Eagle School. It's a very quick and easy read, but essentially there's a statement in that book that says, if the job is to climb a tree, do you hire a squirrel or try to train a horse? And the answer is just hire a squirrel, right? Right, right. In that analogy, I am not a squirrel, right? And so we actually take a lot from that book in our hiring practice now I would prefer people who are not social. They are very introverted. They would rather be behind the computer all day. And I hire them for that type of skill set or that task 
And then I want salespeople to have that personality of like, don't bother yeah. me down details. Just let me go sell. So yeah, I got fired as a squirrel because I was just a very okay squirrel at best. <laughs> sure. That's funny, man. I love that you talked about that. And I think that's one of the biggest, not problems in the industry, but one of the things that there's some ego wrapped up into that. So, you know, see that a lot of times loan officers that are closing one, two loans a month. It's great, you know, if it's feeding your family and all that stuff. But a lot of times, you know, those types of people would be better sort of being, you know, a junior LO working for, you know, a team that is, you know, doing a lot of transactions. Like you can close two deals a month and make 100% commission, or you could close 20 deals a month as an LOA or a junior LO or whatever. I know your setup's a little bit different, but sort of a similar process where like someone gets the business, someone structures the files because some people are great loan officers, but they're not great salespeople. And unfortunately, in mortgage, this is a sales game, right? At the end of the day. And I know, you know, a lot of times people like to say that they're not salespeople that, you know, oh, I'm an advisor, I'm this, that, and that. Generally, when people say that, you see it reflected in their business. Like, yeah. No offense, but like, you know, when you call yourself an advisor or an educator, you can see it. You look them up on MMI, like you just tell, like you're not a salesperson and you believe that yourself, right? And so what I love about what you do is you find salespeople, you train them up. And I do think, I mean, sales is kind of a personality. I think it is definitely teachable, but as you mentioned, you know, you'd rather find someone that doesn't have baggage, right? Yeah. Because the truth is this industry has created a lot of bad habits, especially in the good markets, right? In the good markets, it's easy to have bad habits. It's easy to not have a good dialed in sales process and still get deals. It's easy to not understand how to convert cold prospects. It's easy to do all those things. But in a market like this, you have to level up your skills. And if you haven't leveled up your skills or you haven't systemized the processes, you're not going to win in a market like this and you're going to struggle heavily. And I know one of the biggest things that you guys have done, I think you guys have what, closed like 500 loans already this year across your, your team, something like that. Yeah, I think we're getting very close to 750 by the end of the year. Wow. But okay. we'll, we'll see. We'll see how the next sure. couple shake out. But. And that's pretty wild, right? So it's, you guys systemized a lot. And I know Skylar was kind of a lot of the system side of that. So we'll talk a little bit about your sales process. Like, what do you do? How are you growing so fast? And even in a market like this, I know you guys are up, I think, what, 30, 35%, something like that this year from last year, when most everybody in the market is down 40 to 60%. Sure. So just to add to something you were saying there, in a market like that, you had said, you know, it's easy to get deals in a market that's hot and all that kind of stuff. Right. I would say too, like just to add to that phraseology, it's easy to be too proud of your accomplishments yes. in the market. And then the danger in that is you're too proud to pivot, to ask for help, to change yep. your methodology, to change your model, and to just simply go, you know, there's another great book called Who Moved My Cheese? And yep. then just sit around and go like, well, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing because it worked for me and I'm a good loan officer. Right, right, right. Let me just raise my hand and tell you, Luke, I am not a good loan officer and I don't want to be. Right. When it comes to doing loans, I got a dozen people on my team that are better at it than me. Mm -hmm. But I'm not a loan doer. I'm a loan getter. And right. I think if a person can be honest with themselves about that defined difference, it gives them permission to be themselves. Right. You have loan doers, you have loan getters, and then you have unicorns. My wife is an example of a unicorn. Right. She can do loans with the best of them. She might be the best loan officer I've ever been around. It almost freed me from the idea of trying to be the best loan officer because it's just never going to happen. Sure. She's also very, very good at sales and can go out and get loans with the best of them. But sure. generally, that's a unicorn scenario. And right. us, we found that we could repeat the process over and over and over if we split that role in half. So anyways, let's get into the sales thing. So Skylar does a lot of the process stuff and I do a lot of the sales things. So I think 
when I first hired Skyler, he came from a bank. So he had this commercial lending background, had done some mortgage too, but it was a very small bank. So like every loan officer in the bank kind of did a little bit of everything, you know, car loans, credit cards, mortgage, a commercial loan here and there. Like he just kind of just amassed a portfolio of lending in general. There wasn't really a like very defined, you know, home mortgage versus commercial lending. They just kind of all did it all. Sure. And so when I hired him, it was because, you know, Skyler's Native Americans, very proud of his heritage. And the bank he worked for was also partly owned by a Native American tribe, mm-hmm. but they did not do the 184 home loan, which was Native American home loan. And so Skyler called me and said, hey, do you do these little home loans? And I said, yeah, we do. And he goes, man, my bank won't do them. It's frustrating. Can I send this customer to you? And I said, sure. Why don't you just come work for me? Then you can do all the Native American home loans you want to. Right. Conversation starts. And when I hired him, we didn't have all these processes in place. So he essentially just rode around the truck with me for like three months. And I was in the process of opening two other offices at the same time for my company, little satellite offices. So I was, you know, two days over here and two days over here and one day a week over there. And so he just rode around with me and he would practice on my deals. People would come in, he'd work it up. I'd look it over, you know, just like normal, how you train a loan officer stuff, just to get him up to speed on some government loans. But during those rides in the truck was the real magic. We would sit and talk about how you go about getting business and what does that look like normally? And the answer is, you can't just offer them all trips to Cancun, you know, your real estate agents, right? You can't do that. So there's this compliance problem. Right. If you could, you could just, you know, whoever spends the most money on agents wins, right? Because they they sell business. So what could you do to bring value to agents in a meaningful way that doesn't challenge compliance, but is actually valuable beyond postcards or calendars, or let me send you another flyer about an FHA loan, Snoozeville, you know, everybody's saying the same thing. And I think you even had a meme recently on your Facebook group about this, like every loan officer is telling agents going like, but I'm different though. And the agent's going like, oh my gosh, here we go again. You really have to find a way to set yourself apart. And in this market is true because if the real estate agent has been sending business to Joe for five years and Joe does a pretty good job, they're very aware that the market is turning and Joe needs all the referrals he can get to pay his bills. It's going to take even more for you to steal that agent away from Joe because they're right. going to be like, you know, I'm going to stick with the devil I know versus the devil I don't. And Joe isn't as busy as he used to be. So he's paying a lot of attention to me right now. Right. How do you get that customer away? So we go in when we talk to agents especially like in a group setting, we'll go in and do like a presentation for a real estate office, whatever. We start out with the presentation very, very specifically, like, look, we're not going to talk about FHA or USDA or all the boring stuff that everybody always comes in and talks about. Let me give you some stuff you can use today to impact your business. It's a four-part presentation, but we start that presentation with a sales pitch to the agent that gives them some meat they can hang on to for conversion and capture ratio. And it has to do with the phone calls that they get when they're on the floor or a sign call. So agents are pounding signs in the ground. They're putting stuff on Facebook. They're spending time in the office waiting for calls to come in. And it's very much a, if I may just tangent on this for a minute, the customer calls in and says, hey, I saw your sign. I'd like to look at a house. And the agent says, great, yeah, I'd love to show you a house. They're excited to meet them, whatever. And at some point in that process, the agent has been trained to ask what we call our silly questions. In the car business, they're a little more harsh. They call them stupid questions. Don't ask stupid questions. 
But really the sales training behind it is don't ask questions you don't know the answer to. Because let's think for a minute, if you're on a freeway, every time you ask a question you don't know the answer to, you risk having to get off the freeway and re-navigate yourself again and get back on the freeway because the customer will drag you down a rabbit hole. Right, right. This agent is on the phone with a customer and they say something like, so are you pre-approved? Or so have you talked to the lender yet? So have you got your financing in order? Okay. This is a silly question. And the reason for that is, is because that customer could tell them anything. And it might even be true. Like, oh yeah, we're good. You know, we're good. Now you're getting off right. the free. Now the agent's going, okay, but like, bank you working with how much is your pre-approval for do you even know what loan type like do you have to put money down do you need closing costs right do you have to sell your house first now we're off the freeway now the agent is off the freeway instead of like just barreling down the freeway towards the sale further when they ask that question it changes their closing ratio because then what happens is the real estate agent goes okay well let's get you connected with a lender let me give you their number and then i get a phone call from a real estate agent two days later it says hey i gave your name number to bob did Bob call you? And I'm like, right. Bob didn't call me. I mean, do you want me to call Bob? Like, You've lost some percentage of those leads now, Mr. 100%. Agent. We tell these agents about this. And then the last thing we bring up in that part of the process is we generally believe the moment of the first phone call, when the customer calls in on a sign call or a floor call, or just like a Facebook lead, they call the agent, their closing ratio from that moment to closing is about one out of eight, one out of 10. If I get a customer on a phone and I take their application on paper right down there, my closing ratio is one out of four. Now, I know that different markets are different. And I think that in that regard, we can talk about that differently. You know, different markets have more shoppers, different markets have more pre-qualified buyers, sure. whatever. The point is, I'm trying to convince the agent that if they change the way they do business, their closing ratio could go from one out of 10 to one out of four. Right. So this gets into our sales process of like, how do I convince a real estate agent to send me every lead every time and make it their idea? And the answer is you give them a reason to that impacts their pocketbook or their time frame. So we tell them instead of you dancing around the bush and hoping that customer sticks to you like glue, because here's the good news. I will call them 100% of the time. If you give that customer my phone number, they'll call me 50% of the time. There goes half your closing ratio. Right. So. The way that we do that is then we teach them about word track and we just say, okay, so instead, don't do anything different. You run your business however you want to. Just change a few words when you're on the phone with customer. The customer will appreciate a professional process. In fact, a professional process creates confidence. And trust. Yes, consider this. Luke, when's the last time you went to the dentist? Let's say in the last couple of months, you had the toothache, you went to the dentist, you go to the dentist, you tell the doctor, hey doc, my teeth hurt. What do I do? And the doc says, oh no. Well, what do you think we should do? Well, that'd be weird, right? Right. Because what you want is to walk into the dentist and go, you're supposed to know. Right. I'm supposed to tell you my teeth hurt, and you're supposed to say, no problem. I know what to do. Come with me. Sit right here. We'll get you fixed up. We'll get you out of here. It's going to be okay. What about the last time you bought a car at a car dealership? You pulled onto the car dealership. You got out of the car. You did the awkward look around. You know, here comes the salesperson. They run up to you and you, hey, guys, how's it going? You know, welcome to... ABC Toyota. Hey, before I show you any cars, go down to the bank and get pre-approved. You know, then come back. No, they don't. They don't do that. Right. Listen, to all the loan officers that ever see this podcast, the car business is better at this than we are. We 100%. have to recognize that this is a sales game and the salespeople at the car dealership are better than you. And the call center people are better than you. And I know the thing that people like to talk trash about is, oh, this person probably just got the job. They will outsell you every single day of the week. I'm sorry, they will outsell you. They're not a better loan officer than you. 
but they will outsell you every single day of the week. And that's a problem. To being too proud of your skills from a hot market, going like, well, yeah, but I'm a real good loan officer. Don't care. Right. If I get applications this week or this month, let's say, and you get 10 applications this month, you can run circles around FHA and USDA guidelines that I can find. I'll still close more deals than you. Right. Right. So as soon as we recognize this a sales game, now we're going to go tell the real estate agents, hey, guys, this is a sales game. Change your closing ratio by changing one thing in your first phone call, and it will increase your capture ratio and your closing ratio. How many of you would like to have a better closing ratio off the number of leads you get? They're all going to say yes. Awesome. Let me tell you how. And if you don't take anything else from this presentation, Mr. Agent, take this with you and put it into good use today. When the customer calls you, you say, some, I'd love to show you houses today. Can we look at houses today? Yes, of course we can. Can we look at more than one today? Of course we can. In fact, I've got a couple in mind right now. I'd love to show you to them. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call and get some appointments set up for us, Mr. Customer. Okay, I'm going to make sure that they're available to show the house today. In the meantime, I'm going to have a finance professional give you a call and just sure if any questions you might have about your pre-approval. And then when I call you back, we'll set time. We'll go look at houses. Oh, by the way, you called in about a two-bedroom, two-bathroom house, but if I found you a three-bedroom, two-bathroom house in a similar price range, would you be open to look in that house too? And the customer goes, well, yeah, of course. So now I'm asking questions I know the answer to. I want them to say yes. I got them to say yes. I also got permission from my finance person to call that customer. Now the finance guy who's on your team, Mr. Agent, is on your team to help you stick to the customer because the sooner I get them on the phone with me, the sooner your closing ratio goes up. And they see that connection. They go, oh. the magic button is, it's not because I'm special or I'm such a good salesperson. The magic button is, as soon as I get a social security number, that customer is more likely to wait for me to get back to them. As a commitment. They've actually committed. That's the thing. The people like want to send their links. People want to not take the apps over the phone. They're scared to ask for social security. And I get it because like, it's okay when you're doing referrals. When you're dealing with referrals, you're probably going to get away with it and you're probably going to close a decent amount of loans. That being said, you're probably leaving hundreds of thousands of dollars on the table every single year by just sending your link out. I lean in really heavily tell agents, listen, conversations make you money. They also make me money and they help me make you money. So we're going to call the customer immediately and say, hey, Bob, Sue said that you were interested in some pre-approval information. Man, I'd sure love to help you. How do you spell your first name? B-O-B? Great. What's your social? The faster I get the social security number, the faster I have a one in four closing ratio. Now, if your ratio is one out of five, because your mark is harder, maybe it's one out of six, it's still better than the real estate agent's closing right. ratio. It's right. real numbers, but it's a real number. Right. Hey, Mr. Agent, how'd you like your closing ratio go from one out of 10 to one out of six? Of course you would. Let me help you with that. You're not leveraging your lender like you should be. I am set up to help you leverage the lender to help you close more deals. Let me tell you how. And this is where traction comes in. We've built a process that we turn around and then tell the agent about our process. When you send me a lead, you text it to me, and then I will call or text them seven times in the first four days. And if I don't get a response from that customer, I will then call you back, Mr. Agent, and say, hey, I've called Bob. I've texted Bob. He's not responded to me. Have you talked to Bob? Or is he ghosting both of us? And the agent goes, no, I haven't talked to Bob either. Okay, well, with your permission, I'm going to take him off my list. Is that okay? I put the agent in the driver's seat of their lead base, but they can rely on the fact that I will do the follow-up for them and chase those customers down until we get an application. Why? Because they honored me with a lead. I'm going to honor them with my best effort to get their social security number on a piece of paper and pull a full credit report. Let me, let me tell you also, we do not do soft pulls. 
customer says, hey, well, can you just do a stop? Oh, no, I'm sorry, we play for keeps. But the good news is, right, just a little sales turn of phrase. The good news is if we pull your credit and we get you pre-approved, you're good for four months. We don't have to do this again for a long time. You got plenty right. of time to shop. Right, customers would agent to me, loan officers be really on top of this whole soft pull thing. And don't worry, we can just do a soft pull because they think that that somehow gets them a little bit committed. It doesn't, it just helps them date five people at a time. Right, right. I want to pick you up from your house for a date. Why? Because then I know I'm taking you home. If I meet you there, they could just meet somebody else. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like a date. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting too that one of the things that I'll want to point out for people that maybe aren't as adept at sort of the sales game is you're not allowing them to have any gaps in their mind. So what happens when people, when you have these conversations with the real estate agents, like if you open up gaps in their mind, all they're going to think is like, and we'll talk about this in a second. You talk about your cold calls and your networking calls and how you get into those. And you know, what most people do is like, Hey, Mr. Realtor, like I just wanted to call you and talk about how we can, you know, help do business together. And it's like, okay, like you want my leads, right? Like, because you're allowing them to create whatever they think is happening because creating space in their brain, right? You're not being specific around what you want. And so same thing with the consumer, you're not allowing that to happen in the conversation, you're just leading it. And people are looking for leaders. At the end of the day, sales is leadership. And I talk about this almost on every podcast because I adamantly believe in sales not being a scammy thing. And I also believe in like pushing people because at the end of the day, sales is not bad if you do it ethically. Right. This doesn't mean we push a product on someone they shouldn't be in. It doesn't mean we push someone into getting a loan that maybe they should wait six months to get their credit up a little bit. This is, you know, this doesn't mean we're doing things unethically, but this just means that, hey, we're the expert. As a loan officer, you're an expert. You understand the market better. You understand the cost of waiting. You understand how appreciation works. Obviously don't lie and say, oh, well, it's gonna appreciate 8% because that's what it's done for the last three years. But no, say, hey, like, are you planning on living in the house for the next six to 10 years? If you are, then you're probably gonna be okay. You know what I mean? If, you want to buy and stay for a year, that's probably not a good bet, right? But again, that comes down to being an ethical salesperson, but using that because if you truly believe, I mean, let's just talk about Rocket or Veterans United. Those guys don't care. Those are going to sell the crap out of this person. They don't care. They're going to do a cash out on this person, even if they shouldn't be doing a cash out. Right. The thing that I teach my guys, and I think that I could pass on to anybody is the number one solution to every problem is more volume. Right. You don't have to be snaky if you're a good salesperson. What you end up with is we get into a market that's hard and harsh and maybe it's tough. And maybe now all of a sudden you found yourself only closing one loan this month or one loan next month or whatever. And so now you have this extra temptation of like, well, if I just present it this way, I could probably get this deal. It's way easier to be ethical and to be up and up. If you're closing 16 loans this month and the customer says, do you think I should refinance? And I'm like, you know, bro, I'd wait. I'd wait because that's good advice. If I'm a professional and they're asking me, like, I'm not a financial planner. And I tell people that, like, check with your financial planner. But for me, I might wait a minute or I might. Yes, it's a good idea. No, it's a good idea. But I can give them real feedback based on my best assessment, not because I need money. Right, right, right. No, I agree with them. The other thing, too, is in this market, I'm hearing so many people saying, like, well, I got all these pre-approvals. I don't care. Get more. You're not closing them. They're not going into contract. It's taking longer. All you can do is get more pre-approvals. That's right. Like what? Okay, you have 60 pre-approvals out there and you're only closing three loans a month. I don't care. Get 120 and you'll close six. Yeah, that's true. I think people are too quick to, like I said, be proud of the efforts from last week. Right. Even though their current closings this week might be none or one or whatever. They go like, yeah, well, I had 10 applications last week. Good, but 10 applications may not be getting you the results you want in this market. 
you may have to adjust your thinking. Used to be 10 apps a week would turn into 10 loans a month in a pretty 60 to 90 day time frame, And right. you pretty well map that out if your closing ratio is one out four, maybe it's different in your market, okay? But if you could do 10 apps a week, 60 days from now, you're closing about 10 loans a month. But that might not be the same case anymore. I'm pre-approving enough people to close 10 loans a month if I have 10 apps a week, but it might take 15 apps to get right. 10 closes a month. You know, the risk in not pivoting fast enough in that regard. When Alex Ramosi talks about it, he says, uh, what you think it takes versus what it really takes, right? It's like, it doesn't matter what you think it takes. It doesn't matter what you want it to take. The market tells you what it takes. If it's going to take 4X effort to make the same amount of money, like, you can't do 2x effort and expect the same results. It just doesn't work that way, right? And maybe it's not even 4x effort. Maybe it's 100x effort. And I always like to talk about this story. And I don't know if you've heard this one, but Hormozzi talked about when he was first starting one of his gyms, one of his mentors said, oh, yeah, this is how we grow our business. We do these flyers, right? And so, you know, a month goes by, he puts out some flyers and the guy comes back and says, oh, how did the flyer thing go? And Alex was like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, it didn't really work. You know, someone basically yelled at me about dinging their car or something like that. And, and he's like, well, how many did you send out? And he's like, 300. He's like, we don't even test with less than like a thousand a drop or something like that. We send 50,000 a month, like blew his mind. It was like, not even just like one X, two X effort, four X effort. It was like literally a hundred X. What he was doing was what he had to do in order to get results. And again, the market doesn't care about your opinion. The market right. doesn't care what you think about social media. It doesn't care what you think about sales. It doesn't care what you think about prospecting. Like the market's going to give you back what you put into it. You have these presumptions about what it's going to take. It's even dangerous to set up an activity goal. I like activity goals better than I like uh, results goals because I think, sure. uh, you know, the disciplines of the four disciplines of execution talks about lead measures, lag measures. But I tell my team, here's your minimum. You need to make this many phone calls a day or a week or a month or whatever, this many pop ins, this many in persons. The goal is to get in front of real estate agents, right? But if I said to them, well, you should be making 30 calls a day. And then they do that and they're still only getting in front of one agent a week, then they're obviously not doing enough. It's not because 30 isn't enough. It's because 30 isn't enough for them. Right. 30 might be enough for Luke to get on the phone and Luke might be great on the phone and Luke might get on the phone and be like, hey guys, you don't know me, but I'm amazing and you should have coffee with me. And 10 out of 30 go, yes, I would love to. Let's do that tomorrow. And then another person you know, makes 30 phone calls and only five people answered the phone and four of those were like, don't ever call me again. Okay, then I guess you got to make more than 30 phone calls. Right. The war of attrition. I have this presumption of like, well, I know what it takes. I need to make 10 networking calls a day or 10 cold calls or whatever you want to say. Maybe, maybe. But the answer is you call as many people as you need to, or you stop in as many places as you have to, or you go to as many coffees as you can to get in front of people. Because if your main source of business is realtor referral, then go get in front of realtors. Whatever it takes you to get there. Like if you got to do a thousand pushups to build muscle and I can only have to do a hundred, you know, good for me, bad for you. It still takes a thousand pushups for you. If you don't want to build muscle, I guess you're fine with that. But right. if the job is to build muscle, then you're going to have to do whatever it takes to build muscle. The truth is too, like it's the war of attrition to a certain extent, but like the truth is also like doing those reps is going to make you better. So those percentages will get better, right? Like, you know, if you're following a process, if you're reviewing calls, the other problem too, is people don't really treat their jobs as professional. It's like a job, but not like a sales professional. Like you should be reviewing your calls regularly. You should have a script or a framework that you follow. So you're hitting specific points when you're having this conversation, you should have a mapped out unique value proposition with, you know, a couple pillars of how can you help them solve a pain point. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. I know we talked briefly about it, but 
you know, when you're going into these conversations, like you're obviously giving them that value at the beginning of the conversation, but when you're actually pitching kind of like what you do, one of the things that I like about what you guys do is like, again, we talked about the improvement offer versus the new opportunity offer. And so what you guys have done is you basically come and said, Hey, like you're doing a lot of things that other loan officers say they do, but the way you present it makes it sound so much freaking better. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're not even better, but different. You're doing something that's completely different. Even though a lot of the things you're doing, maybe other loan officers are doing or say they're doing, you know, the way you present it. So I'd love to chat a little bit about how do you present that in a way that shows up as a different offer, as a new opportunity for them so that they're more likely to want to work with you. Yeah. So I think part of that is that we don't talk about I or me. So when I stand up and speak these days, I don't do many presentations for myself. In fact, probably haven't done a presentation for myself in two years. I do presentations for my sales guys. So they'll set up a presentation with an office of 20 agents, whatever, and then I'll go and pitch with them as the team lead, as the president of the leader of whatever. And so we talk about our team and our process in a way that's not individualized because I think that there's an inherent knowing that if I send you all my business, you're going to be like everybody else and you're going to get busy. And we even talk about this. So part of the methodology of my selling is outline the pain point and then I solve it for them. And a lot of times that means putting that pain point into words that the real estate agent understands and they nod their head and go, yeah, that is how that is. So let me give you a quick example. And it's awkward. So probably sometimes, right? The pain conversation can sometimes be the awkward sort of things that you don't want to talk about as a salesperson too, but it's actually the best ammunition for the sales conversation. I think so too, man. It humanizes a lot of things. And it also shows you put a lot of thought into your thing. Right, right. And you, so I tell agents, I stand up in the room and I say, okay, so let's talk about what you normally go through in the day of, in the life of a real estate agent. You got a guy who does some loans for you, right? And you generally have this scale of like really good, really good, and really busy or really new, but can pay a lot of attention to you, but not so good, right? And so you're kind of in this world of like three options. You either give the new guy a chance and let him make some mistakes on your deals, which is hard right now because if the market's constricting, those agents understand that deals are not just flowing like water. So they're not giving as many chances to the new guy. On the other hand, you give your business to the really, really busy guy. He doesn't have time to communicate with you. He won't get back to you. He gets your loans closed, but you never know what's going on. So therefore, you never know what to tell the customer. But you know, it's, you're kind of trading one end of the spectrum for the other. Or what most real estate agents do, they find somebody who's kind of in the middle. They're pretty good and a little busy until they get too busy. And then they find a new guy who's been at it for a couple of years that's pretty good, but not as busy. And they just kind of keep riding the middle of the pack. Anybody relate to that? Usually got loan, you know, a real estate agent is going, yeah, that is how it is, right? I had a guy for five years and eventually he stopped paying attention to me. Right. Okay. The reason why our team is different is because I built out a process that makes it so that you cannot possibly out busy me. I have five people in my back office that do loans at roughly 175 a year each, 150 a year each. So they're experience, knowledge, capacity is epic. But it also means that I can answer my phone whenever you call me. I can respond to you. I can call your customers. I can call your leads. I can have conversations on the weekends and not feel burnt out. Why? Because someone else is doing this, right? If I'm just one guy, maybe I'm pretty good at the job, but you're calling me and I'm in the middle of putting a fire out for another customer. How can I serve you 100% of the time if I'm constantly behind my computer and stuck in the office? I can't. So my process is built out in such a way that, yeah, we pay our salespeople a little less 
and we pay our LOAs a little more, and they all love it. They love it because we can give the kind of service we all talk about giving. Yeah, I communicate. Yeah, I'm available. Yeah, I work weekends. Yeah, you do until you have enough business. And then you're like, man, these people be calling me on Sunday. A year ago, you were happy to get that phone call. And now you're like, why they got to call me on a Sunday? Right. We solve that by making sure that it's a process built out. So I said to my loan officers, we call them BDRs, business development reps. They are licensed loan officers, but they don't do loans. And we just say, listen, your job is to be on the phone. Your job is to answer your phone, to be available in the evening, to be available on the weekends. You always answer your phone. There's money on the other end of the line. Answer right. your phone. Their job is to make sure we don't make mistakes, to make sure we don't miss a guideline, to make sure we don't end up in closing. And all of a sudden, the underwriter says, no, wait a minute. You miss something. This is how we can make sure that we are awesome, good at the job of doing loans, and also good at the job of communicating and being available to those customers, those real estate agents. The biggest change we made as a team is this statement right here, Luke. The customer buying the house is not my client. And I tell the real estate agents this, the customer buying the house is not my client. The customer buying the house is your client, Mr. Agent. My client is you. Mm -hmm. Everything our team does, the process we go by, all the things that we've built into our process and our team is built around what the real estate agent needs to do their job more effectively, more efficiently, to save time, make more money, higher conversion ratio, less time on the phones. We do that for you because we've realized you're the client, not the customer. Of course, we're going to take care of the customer. That's how we both get paid. But it changes something when the banker says, well, yeah, I'm not available on Sundays. Well, then you're not taking care of your client. Well, they'll wait till Monday. The customer will, but the agent won't. Right. The agent wants somebody to answer the phone on a Sunday afternoon. Guess what? Call me. Try me. I still do it, man. I've been doing this a long time, and I'm working on other guys trying to build their business and stuff. I still answer the phone for real estate agents all hours of the day. Why? Because that's the lifestyle of this job. If you don't like it, go be a banker. Mm. Anyways, sorry about that. This no, it's all good. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Because salespeople, our job as salespeople is basically to identify the pain, agitate it to discomfort, and then basically show how our solution is a solution to their problems. That's the best way I have heard that said. I'm just going to identify, agitate. I love that. And this concept I learned from one of my old sales mentors, and he talks about this, like, Identify the pain, but then paint the picture of Hell Island, right? That's where they are, their current situation. You basically get them to identify what their Heaven Island is, what their heaven is, their desired situation. And then you show them the bridge, which is your solution to their problem. And so again, people like, oh, sales is bad. It's like, no, like if this person doesn't have a pain point, like prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. If you don't identify this person's pain point, how do you solve the problem that they have? You can't because you don't know what their problem is. And I think the same thing has to happen with consumers. We're throwing everybody in a 30-year fix. Maybe the 30-year fix is not the best product for them. Maybe they should be doing an arm, right? I don't know. I mean, I don't know the products that well. But again, like if we don't actually identify and have a consultative conversation with them, ask them questions that go beyond the surface layer, the surface level, there's emotions that make people make decisions. People buy emotionally and justify with logic most of the time. There's a small percentage of people that are the opposite. But you know, anyway, that's my... Uh, your attempt at purchasing with logic is things like, so what are rates right now? Right. They don't have another question to ask. They don't know what they're supposed to be asking, especially right. 
home buyers, you know, they're just trying to do their best to be a good shopper, due diligence, but they don't right. really know what they're doing and know what to ask. And so they throw out this, I'm like, what are rates right now? So, I mean, you see that a lot of times. And let me put a practical real world scenario to what you just said. You have to identify, you have to solve, agitate, solve, whatever. So when we do our pitch, we talk about Monday. So my team practices update communication on Mondays by lunchtime. Every Monday by lunch, everybody gets a phone call, okay? This is part of practice. We have a person on my team that helps with these phone calls and make sure all of this happens. And a normal loan officer would say like, hey, I communicate and I'll give you updates. Great. That's too broad and too general. Yes, yes, yes. Just was talking to someone yesterday. They're like, oh, I communicate. I'm like, what does that actually mean for them? That's right. So this goes back to like, we don't talk about ourselves. I don't say I communicate. My team has a built-in process for communication, for updates on Mondays by lunchtime, every week, no matter what. Here's, let me tell you how that works, right? Let's talk about Mondays for a minute real quick, Mr. Customer, Mr. Real Estate Agent, right? My client, my agents. Let's talk about Mondays. Monday morning happens, and at 7.59, you get a text message from the customer you put on a contract on Saturday because they're already sending you a text message with their favorite question, which is what? What's next, right? Number one question customer asks, well, what's next? What do we do now? Right. Agents going like, man, I just woke up on a Monday morning. Like, can you give me a minute? Okay. Then the agent from that same deal around nine o'clock calls in and says, so have they ordered the appraisal yet? When's the appraisal going to be ordered? What's this? Blah, 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 blah. And so then you're calling some banker going like, hey, have you ordered the appraisal yet? And if they get back to you in a timely manner, maybe it's 10 o'clock and they called you back after their golf game and they said, yeah, the appraisal's ordered. So you call back the other agent, you say, they ordered the appraisal. And then the agent says, Okay, but I haven't heard from anybody. Do you know when it's supposed to be due by? Let me find out. And you call them back and it's back and forth and back and forth. And if you're even a decently busy real estate agent, you have a chaotic Monday. And what are you not doing? You're not prospecting. You're not showing houses. You're not out in front of a new customer, right? And where do I as the loan officer want you? And I tell them this. I want you in front of a new customer showing houses. I want you prospecting for the next deal. I will take care of the rest. So what if on Mondays you leverage your lender and you just let me do it for you. Right. I will call every agent on both sides of the deal. I'll call the customer, the borrower, the borrower's spouse, whatever. I'll give everyone an update. Everyone gets an update by noon. You'll get information about appraisals. Are we in underwriting? Do we have any major conditions? Do we have any concerns about timelines? Are we going to close on time? Do we think we're going to close on time? All of that goes out by noon on Monday, period. And that is the difference of being specifically solving a pain point than just a general, yeah, we communicate. Yep. yep. 100%. I meetings and they all go, Wow, I love that. What's in it for me? We leave presentations all the time with people running out the door going like, here's a customer, can you call them? Here's one, can you call them? These guys can use your help. We leave with leads all the time from the first time we do a presentation. People be like, oh, this is amazing. How'd you come up with this? And I'm like, you know what? I just listened. You're talking about identifying pain points. Like we know what the pain points are. Right, of course. Secrets here. So why would our answer to specific pain points be, yeah, we communicate. That's a super general thing to solve a very specific problem. What exactly is the pain point? It's the fact that the agent gets inundated with phone calls for updates about stuff they have no idea about. And the only place right. they can turn for that information is me. Yeah, they have to call me to get that information. So why don't I just help them skip the whole thing and I'll take care of all those updates for them so they don't have to wait on me to give them updates. Otherwise, I get phone calls all week. You know what I don't do anymore? I don't get phone calls anymore of agents calling me going like, so is that appraisal order? When's that appraisal due? Because they all get updates. I love it. I like to leave some sort of tangible action that a loan officer can take Let's say they're starting this market, something like that, or whatever, just to go out and get business. So if you were to go out there right now, maybe you're starting fresh, you don't have you know all the business you're doing, like what would you do today to go out and get more business? 
I would get out of the feeding frenzy that is the main watering hole. We were running into agents all the time that are telling us things like, man, nobody ever comes here anymore. COVID has created a scenario where everyone calls or nobody calls at all. Right, no one right. goes up or no one calls or all they do is call. So there's a numbness that is happening with all these people calling. Change your script, AB some scripts, call up some customers and ask for permission to network with them, not ask them for deals, not this, that. Would it be okay if I stopped by your office and dropped off a few cards and maybe met you? That's it. I just want to meet you. I just want to meet you. It might be a longer game this way, but I mm -hmm. think it's an easier phone call to make for most. Not everybody's a hardcore cold caller. And if you have to train yourself to be a hardcore cold caller, that might take longer than just call people up and say, hey, you don't know me. I'd like to build a little bit of business in your pocket of neighborhood over that direction, maybe the suburb outside of town. One of my biggest referral partners is in like Pittsburgh, Kansas, like 15,000 people. And it's 45 minutes from where our main office is. And nobody goes and calls on those agents. It's wild. Right. And it's funny because like you say that, but like I've talked to many, many agents that said, I never get calls from loan officers. Loan officers aren't making the calls, even though everybody talks about making calls on Mondays. Most people are not making those calls. Or like you said, they're maybe calling the same people or mm -hmm. something. I don't, I don't get it, but. The same top 50. So the top 50 agents are getting phone calls from everybody all the time. Right. Versus go find like, you know, the analogy, like don't ask out the prettiest girl, ask out her friend. There's a better yeah. chance she's going to say yes, right? Like, so I don't care if I need a dozen real estate agents that close 10 loans a year instead of one real estate agent that closes 50 loans a year. I don't care. Whatever it takes, man. Yeah, whatever it takes. Like we said earlier, yeah. whatever it takes is the most important metric. I don't mind new real estate agents either. It you doesn't cost me but a cup of coffee to go take out a new real estate. Hey, you're just getting to the business. Let me be a resource to you. If you need anything from me, if you ever have questions, I don't care if it's my deal or not. Let me be a value-add resource to you. Those new real estate agents may not be heavy hitters in two or three years. They might be. They may not be. There's statistics on that. I don't really care. But you know what they will do? They'll sell a house to their mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin, uncle, or best friend. At least in the first six months, they'll sell a few houses. You might get to grab a couple of those deals. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you. And thank you so much for your time today, Sam. We got to wrap it up. You know, I feel like we could talk for another hour, but, you know, we got things to do, places to be. So thank you so much, Sam, for your time. Man, what I got from this, massive amounts of value. The big thing for me is sales from the perspective of like, you're a salesperson, or maybe you're not. Maybe you are the mortgage person. Maybe it makes sense to partner with someone that is the salesperson and doing kind of the same style that Skylar and Sam were able to create. Or maybe it's going to work for a, you know, someone that is a rainmaker that's closing a lot of deals, you know, closing two deals, full comp, or closing 20 deals at, you know, half comp or whatever it is, like you're probably gonna make a lot more money working for someone else, structuring deals, and you don't have to worry about closing people. So again, learn your craft, get better at sales. If someone wants to learn more about you, your business, connect with you, like where can people find some more information about you and level up lenders and whatever else you're doing? Yeah, man. So I'm on Facebook under my own name, Sam Hickey. I think there's a picture of me with Chief's hat on or whatever. If you're not familiar with them, they're pretty awesome. But anyways, you can check me out on Facebook directly. You can connect with Level Up Lenders at fbhl.com. Luke, I can send you some email addresses you can throw in the chat if you want to. Cool. You send me an email, you can shoot me a 
message on Facebook. I don't even care if you have my phone number. Just text me first because I can always answer directly immediately because we're going to prefer real estate agents over your call. But I'd be certainly happy to get back to you if you want to reach out to me directly. And I'll send you that information you can throw in the chat as well. Awesome. Appreciate you, Sam, so much for your time today. And for anybody who's listening, if you are looking for some help on flipping the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.